Chapter Twenty Three of Laughter Limited. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. Laughter Limited by Nina Wilcox Putnam. Chapter Twenty Three. There is a custom in moving pictures called shooting at the moon and said custom generally gets put into action when the scenario department is going cuckoo for lack of a plot well when this happens the gang gets together and sits around the office and says here we simply got to get a plot they have already started making the picture so we will now commence crocheting a few gags together come on boys shoot at the moon and then someone maybe the cameraman will say well bill i think a good idea would be for this girl see to be stuck on this feller see and then the director will say sure joe but he can't marry her see because of his father's will and that probably gives the continuity writer a hunch and he or she will come across with say i can improve on that his father's will provides this feller must marry a certain girl see and the father don't know that this girl is really the right girl see and by now the head of the scenario department has taken his mind out for a little exercise and it is just beginning to get warmed up and so he says all right but this girl knows she is the right one all the time see and only pretends to be a poor working girl because she don't want the boy to marry her for her money and so by now they have a good original plot and this way of getting it is called shooting at the moon well the morning after pop unexpectedly showing at our house and all i was in a position of having to take a crack at the moon myself especially when mummer says stricky is downstairs and wants he should see you and so forth her words got me out of bed like they was a derrick but as soon as i had put my feet on the floor i quit cold and sat on the edge of the hay thinking rapidly what would i do they had started making the drama but i hadn't any script ready this was not at all the way i had planned the piece to run for i had no more idea that gregory strickland would dare to ever come anywheres near me again in his whole entire life than i had of asking him to do such a thing my first thought was i will not see him and then on second considering i changed my mind and decided no i will see him because after all i will probably have to some day and just as it is wise to get a cavity in your tooth filled before it stops hurting and not go around with it open and liable to get something in it at a restaurant or some place and commence throbbing all over again when you least expect it so it is a good bet to get any other painful interview over the sooner the quicker so i called out all right mummer i will come and set out to make myself look as pretty as i possibly could so stricky would thoroughly appreciate what he had lost and then i went downstairs to where he was walking up and down all alone in the parlor like a wild man at least that is what i thought as i reached the lowest step on the stairs but i soon found out different for stricky's steps was not nervous anxiety but jazz he had put a number on the phonograph and was snapping his fingers to it as i come in the door this was really more than i intended standing for and i pointed at my early spanish phonograph with a dramatic finger kill that number i says i can't stand it sure i will says stricky obliging what's the matter honey got a bad head well for a moment i couldn't hardly believe my ears his manner was just like ordinary and a person would have thought that nothing unusual had happened say listen he went on i feel great this morning considering i found a new pick-me-up that would cure a wood alcohol case let me fix you up a little bonnie some party we had eh greg i says quietly you know i don't need any pick-me-up if i have a head this morning it wasn't liquor caused it do you remember anything you done last night he got silent for a moment then he shrugged his shoulders and give a little laugh oh that he says you mean anita i suppose well what of it we was on a party that's all forget it no i can't forget it i says i want you to understand that 
I am through, Greg. Say, listen, he says. Don't begin and pull any line of bunk like that. A party is a party, and any little old thing is liable to happen on it. Besides, what I do is my business. That's what I'm trying to tell you, says I. Entirely your own business, and none of mine, from now on. Oh, well, if you are going to get jealous, says Stricky, go ahead. I'm fed up anyways. I only came around this morning because I thought we might as well kiss and make up. It's all in a lifetime if you won't. Well, I just stood looking at him and wondering did I really know this man. His hair, like black glass, was the same. His tie was as perfect. His whole freshly washed effect was as snappy as it had always been. Even his fine high color didn't seem to have been affected much by being so wet last night. But I didn't know him any more. He was just some stranger that had wandered in. A objectionable one which I didn't care to get any better acquainted with. Maybe you know how it is to stand that way in front of a person who you have wrapped your life around day and night for a long time and suddenly see them clear. Sweet daddy, it's a queer sensation. The only satisfaction in it would be to have the upper hand through the other person still caring, but Stricky didn't even leave me that. I see, says I at length, that we had come near to making an awful mistake. I'm not going to pretend I will ever be friends with you, Strick. As for our contract with Nicky, I don't know what to say. I could no more go on playing opposite you than, oh well, I just naturally couldn't pull it off, that's all. Say, listen, you needn't worry about that, says Greg, sneering his eyebrows in a cool, unpleasant way, and calmly lighting a cigarette. Don't trouble about not playing with me, old girl, because I am going with the divers' comedies for my next picture anyway. Well, this pretty near took me off my feet, for I knew Stricky's contract run for another six months. What did he mean? Nichols had let him out for some reason. That was, of course, good, and relieved me from a lot of unpleasantness, but just the same, something in the way Strick pulled the line made me uneasy. It wasn't all on account of Anita now also being with the divers' comedies either, although I will admit that while I was finished with Strick forever, I was yet female enough for the thought to give me a little pang, and it was no good saying to myself, Well, all right, you can have him, dearie, and may God pity you. Because while, of course, I made that conventional remark in my brain and knew it for a mighty wisecrack, still my vanity hurt under it and if you are a woman who has lost a unworthy man you will get me perfectly if some other woman has beaten you to it and grabbed him before you had the chance of firing him greg strickland i says slowly i am glad to hear you got another job so soon after nicky giving you the air which i suppose he must have done this forenoon air hell says strick leaning against the piano and grinning at me say listen he didn't give me any gate i just grabbed off a job that's all i got to eat you know Strick, I says, what do you mean? Don't ask me, kid, says he, still smiling and pointing with his cigarette over my shoulder towards the door. Don't ask me. Ask Nichols. Well, I turned around bewildered, and there in the door was Nicky. His face was white and drawn, and he looked ten years older than when I had seen him last. All of a sudden I remembered how he hadn't been on my party the night before, nor sent me any word about why not or anything. Something had happened to him in the meantime, something dreadful that had wiped all the pep out of him. Nicky, I cried, running over to him and grabbing him by the lapels. What is it, Nicky? Oh, you look awful. Bonnie, little Bonnie, he says, putting both his hands over mine. Then he stopped short. It didn't seem like he could go on. Across the room Strickland's voice was flung at us like a hoot. Ha ha, I guess you can do with a little sympathy, eh, Mr. Producer Nichols, says he. So you were going to let me out of my contract because you didn't care for my influence on your lot, oh boy. So the dirt has got around already, has it, says Nichols quietly, leading me into the room. You are very quick to blow with the wind, Strickland, but it's about what I would have expected of you. Say listen, says Strick, his face going kind of pasty with anger, and his eyes narrowing down to little black slits. 
Say, listen, you're through telling me what I'm to do, see? Or what you think of me. I've taken a great deal of language from you on the lot because I had to, but now I don't. And just kindly remember that I didn't have to accept the release you offered me yesterday. That contract is sound and I could sue you for six months' salary and get it. I expect you knew what was going to happen last night when you offered to let me go. You knew the distributors wouldn't take your lousy picture and you were trying to save your skin. Nicky went as white as a sheet and the strong muscles of his face commenced working strangely. He looked like a Japanese war god or something and I felt terribly afraid while all across my mind blazed the terrible words like they was written in fire. The distributors wouldn't take your picture. It was monstrous, incredible, there must be some mistake. Nicky was moving slowly toward Strickland, his face still working, his hands clenched down at his sides by a terrible effort of self-control. You swine, he says in a low voice like a lion snarling. You low swine. That's a lie and you know it. The picture is one of the finest that has ever been made and you know that. I've endured your crawling around me as long as I can, but when you accuse me of the kind of cheating which comes naturally to your own rotten mind, I'm through and I'm going to beat you up. Come outside. Bonnie, says Strick at the top of his voice, make him lay off. Nicky give an ugly laugh and shot out a big hand, landing in Greg's collar and jerking him away from the piano. Come out of this, he says, or shall I have to carry you out before I pound you to death? Nicky, don't, I cried flying at him. Don't dirty your hands. Please, oh please don't fight. Well, I don't want to fight, says Greg, still shrill and high. Leave me alone, Nichols. Oh, don't kill him, Nicky, I says. Please, only pretty near kill him. I can't fight a squash pie, says Nicky disgustedly, having by then dragged Greg as far as the door. He won't stand up long enough for me to knock him down. I'll go, I'll go, says Greg, being shoved out into the hall. But you needn't think I'll forget this. I'll get square with you, you big roughneck. I'll get you yet. Oh, put him out, I cried. And Nicky did, sending his pearl-gray hat and yellow cane after him, and slamming the door hard. Then he come back into the room, wiping his hands on a big linen handkerchief and smiling. There, he says, that's the first thing I have enjoyed in twenty-four hours. It's been coming to me for a long time, too. Nicky, I cried, sit down and tell me everything. What has happened? Why weren't you at my party last night, and what is all this about Cinderella? The flush of triumph and satisfaction come right off of Nicky's map at this, and he looked old and worn and white again. Little Bonnie, says he, you don't think I'm a crook? Don't be a dumbbell, says I. I know you, Nicky. What's all the dirt? Bonnie, says he heavily, one thing Strickland said was true. The distributors have refused the picture. But they haven't seen it, I gasped. They saw it last night, says Nicky briefly. That was why I didn't come to your party. Sweet daddy, says I. How on earth did that happen? Benny Silvermount called me up at about four yesterday, says Nicky, and said that he had to go out of town today, and that several of the board were free for the evening. Naturally, I suggested showing it. Well, I did. And they turned it down, I says, stunned. But, Nicky, it don't seem possible. Why, that picture is wonderful, any way you look at it. They must be crazy. Crazy like a pack of foxes, says Nicky bitterly. They knew it was a good picture. They were acting on Big Benny's orders, that was all. But why would he order such a thing, I says hotly. Benny is a businessman, and that's a great picture. It would earn him big money. It will still be more profitable for him to keep it off the market, says Nicky, more quietly now. I'll explain how it is, little Bonnie. You remember, of course, that the big egg threatened to break me? Well, he's done it, that's all. He knows alias Cinderella is a wonderful picture. He even told me so, frankly, as we came out. He said it was one of the best he had ever seen, and that you were superb in it. Thank God you won't lose anything. You can go right back to him. I won't, I says indignantly. I'm going to stay right where I am, with you. 
Nichols smiled and patted my hand. You don't get the idea yet, he says. You're a thoroughbred, Bonnie, but unfortunately there will be nothing to stick to. I'm broke. I'll have to go out and look for a job myself, and you will be obliged to do the same. But Cinderella, I commenced when he stopped me by a gesture. Practically every first-class picture theater in the country is controlled by either Silvermount or Muro, says he, and those two concerns with Newt constitute the best and practically the only distributing agency. I could state-write my picture, of course, and that is what I shall do, but it will be a slow business, and the chances are that I won't even get back the money I have put into it, which of course precludes my going out after new capital. But can't you make Benny change his mind, I says? Why should he change it, Nichols asked. He will buy in that film cheap at the end of six months and reissue it through the big three. It will not have been hurt in the meanwhile, because only the program houses in a few small towns will have shown it. Probably the big three will retitle it and send it out as a new issue. And in the meanwhile I will crawl back asking for work. Damn their hides. He buried his face in his hands, his strong fingers clutching at his curly hair. But somehow he didn't look broken, even in that position. Only slightly bent, maybe. I laid a hand on his shoulder, and he looked up into my eyes straight and clear, so that my heart just regularly ached for him. Nicky, I says solemnly, I wouldn't say I don't care about Cinderella's not getting released, because I do, horribly. But I'll tell the world I would not give up having made it, and made it with you, and what is further, made it right like we did, for all the success in the world. It's a great picture, and you know it, and I know it, and nobody can take that away from us. The experience we went through together in that work is something to keep sacred in this part of the country, and to, well, to sort of live by. Nicky didn't say anything for a moment, and then he leaned over and kissed me gently on the cheek. Little Bonnie, thank you, he says. And then he got to his feet. Well now, I have a lot of things to attend to, says he in a different voice, and I'll have to dust. You take my advice and go see Silvermount. Benny has his eye on you, and he'll grab you back. Never, I says fiercely, after he's pulled a dirty trick like that. Not much I won't. I like your spirit, child, says he, smiling sadly, but it's not good sense. Think it over. He started for the door, then thought of something and turned back. By the way, he says, that revolver of mine, would you mind letting me have it? Nicky, I screamed, a sudden coldness coming over me. He frowned slightly and shook his head. Bonnie, Bonnie, I thought you knew me better, says he reproachfully. I wouldn't do a thing of that sort. Why, child, I'm not a quitter, I'm a fighter. This will be an interlude for me, that's all. I'll go back and lie low and later try again. Oh, Nicky, excuse me, please, I says half crying. And Nicky, I haven't got the gun. Honest, I haven't. Greg Strickland took it. I saw it on him last night. I'm awful sorry. Well, never mind, says Nicky. It belonged to my dad, that's why I asked for it. Confound that skunk of a Strickland. I don't want him to have it either. Well, so long, Bonnie, and don't you worry about my committing suicide. I'm too interested in pictures for that. For a long time after the outside door had closed upon Nicky, I stood looking out the window, face to face with a nodding spray of heliotrope from the vine around the frame. The soft wind brought in that everlasting smell of cedarwood burning and crude oil and dried eucalyptus leaves, and now the perfume of the heavy heliotrope clusters, too. I kind of bathed my face in it like, not trying to think as yet, but feeling awful tired and let down. Far away at the other end of the house I could hear voices talking, but they didn't mean anything to me. I felt like nothing was going to mean anything to me ever again. And then, after a while, the door to the hall opened and Mummer put in her head. She was all dressed to go out, and looked unusually snappy and attractive, even for her, and if I had been in any mood for it, I would have asked why all the prinking. But before I could say a word, Mummer had the floor her own self. Mr. Nichols gone, she says. 
Well, Bonnie, I've been helping your poor dear father get ready to move. I just gathered up a few odds and ends we don't really need down here, and they will make him a lot more comfortable. I put together some canned goods and some coffee and so forth in a basket, so's he'd have something in the house right away, and then blankets off the spare room bed, and a couple of sofa pillows, and I thought that if you was through with your business affairs, you might just run out to the ranch in the car, and we will take these things along and help him to get to rights, the poor man. All right, mummer, I says listlessly. Just wait until I get on my street clothes. Before you go upstairs, dear, says mummer, there is a man at the door. He says it's the installments on the piano, and that they are two weeks overdue. Well, at that, believe me, I come to sudden life. Right out of a clear sky there jumped down a ghostly army of bill collectors, crowding even my big drawing room and shaking unpaid bills at me. I was cold with terror, for there was not alone the piano man, but the phonograph man, the furniture man, the notes on the car, on the house, on my ring. There was collectors from department stores, from my fan picture photographer, from everywhere all around me. I felt like they would suffocate me. Do, do, everything was due, and I hadn't even a job any more. Well, says Mummer, placidly drawing on her gloves, all unconscious of this imaginary yet real crew that was attacking me, I said the cash mightn't be convenient just now, and he says he will take a note on the piano. What'll I tell him? Tell him to take G-sharp, says I, and run upstairs laughing hysterically, while Mummer just stood there staring after me with her mouth open. End of chapter 23